0: It's appropriate that our gospel reading this morning begins by telling us that Jesus is on a journey. He is on a journey that will last for uh, many chapters of the Gospel of Luke. We don't know chronologically how long Jesus was on this journey. He was leaving Galilee where he uh, had come from, where he was from, sort of like being from Stark or Williston or maybe even Hawthorne would be a good comparison. If you're not from around here, those are places that um, are not as prominent as the city of Gainesville, this great metropolitan area that we live in. Jesus is on a journey towards Jerusalem, and this is one of the few places in this section where we actually get a geographical reference so that we know that Jesus is actually making his way toward Jerusalem. Of course, if you're a Christian, you know that towards Jerusalem means that he is focused on the cross. He is going to Jerusalem. He knows what awaits him there, but he also knows that that is the price to be paid for the salvation of the world. Jesus is on this journey. He's moving there, and in the midst of his journeying there, we get all of these teachings that Luke puts together for us in these middle chapters of Luke's gospel. Luke is the longest of the gospel narratives, and this particular portion, and what I mean by that is from chapter 9, verse 51, where Jesus says, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, pick up his cross, and follow me. From right that moment, that verse, all the way over to chapter 19, Jesus will be on this journey towards Jerusalem. Now, he'll get to Jerusalem, and the thing he'll do first that sort of Uh, is the bookend for that section is he will pronounce a judgment over Jerusalem. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how long I I, I long to gather you as a mother hen gathers her chick, but you would not have it, you who stoned the prophets. And so it's a a, a hard word that he gets when he gets gets there, But this is the journey. This is the, if you will, the travel narrative of Jesus. And Luke has put together these passages. We've been working on them all summer long. I don't know if you realize it, but way back in June we started when we got through that that hard passage of take up your cross and follow me. All summer long, since Pentecost, we've been working through this. And Jesus has been laying out through these teachings what it means a, a new way to follow God a new way to follow God, a way, in fact, though, that is very ancient because it's in line with the prophets. Jesus is the cornerstone that the builders rejected that you heard read from Isaiah 28. Jesus is the consuming fire of God. He is the thing that is unshakable in a world where everything else will be shaken. But Israel had forgotten that. Their religious leaders particularly had forgotten that. The religious leaders are the ones who are rejecting Jesus' new way to follow God, which is a very ancient way, and it's all focused on He who is the Messiah. Jesus is saying, I'm showing you how to follow God, and it has to do with listening to me and responding to what I say. And so Jesus begins to talk about that. And because it's a very different way, it's a. I've come to divide even a man's family, three against two. I mean, talk about tough passages, but Jesus is getting the attention of those who are listening to him because he's telling them this way of discipleship is going to be radically different from the religious leaders that they've been hearing up until this point. Jesus is showing the new way. And today's scripture is no less a challenging passage uh, for discipleship. Now, among all the people that are there... Um, there is one shrewd, astute question asker. Probably a person that could hang out at Servants of Christ. This is one of those intelligent, well-thought-out questions that I could see somebody from Servants asking at some point. Raises his hand to Jesus and says, you're talking about some really tough stuff, Jesus. So I can only conclude that perhaps there will only be a few... Who will, in the end, be saved? Because you're you're dissing the religious leaders. You're making it clear that this way is different, and and that it comes with great cost. Surely there won't be a lot of people who actually enter into God's salvation. That's my paraphrase of the question. The question is actually, will these? Will there only be a few who are saved? And I think this is the question that's important for today I mean people ask that they, they wonder you know how many people will make it to heaven people like to speculate about uh, how many Jewish people will make it to heaven based upon that 144,000 number that you see and people want to know about uh, Gentile believers how many will be in heaven it's kind of a, a question that I think probably a lot of us would like Jesus to answer clearly and distinct and, and concisely ...Jesus never ceases to frustrate our need for him to be plain and simple... ...and just do what we ask him to do. Jesus is always contrary in that way. He always challenges us. And so Jesus does not directly answer the question. Rather, he turns to the questioner... ...and points the question back at this person... ...and says, strive to enter through the narrow door... Let's don't talk about they and them and we and those sorts of things. Let's talk about you. You strive to enter through the narrow door. Makes it extremely personal, doesn't he? Now that strive word for us who live on this side of the Reformation and live in a, in a Protestant church, we we tend to think that that question immediately springs to our minds. Is Jesus advocating for some sort of works righteousness is he saying strive dig work harder to earn your salvation is that what jesus is getting at no the greek word here strive is actually comes from an it's an athletic term it has to do with competition and since football season has begun we can go back to using sports analogies again amen right so what jesus is talking about striving But it's not about working harder, it's about being singularly focused. I can talk a little bit more about him now because he's transferred to another school, but for three years we were privileged to know and be interacting with one of our college students, Maxime Rooney, a good friend of some of us. And uh, Maxime was a swimmer at UF, he's now at another school. But he is pursuing one focused goal, and that goal is to make it to the Olympics, And based upon his results in the Nationals in July, I'd say he's well on his way. But being around Maxime for that three years, I got to see a little bit of an insight at what it means to be a collegiate athlete. I don't know if you know this, but they work a job much harder than going to college. College is sort of the secondary goal for a collegiate athlete. Their primary focus, whether it's good or not, is on that, that athletic goal, and it takes that incredible amount of determination and focus singular focus goal to achieve anywhere near the success that they hope to have that's the very word that Jesus uses here he's calling this question asker to consider are you singularly focused on entering through the narrow door now at this point he hasn't really said much more about what the narrow door is You could say that the narrow door seems like, well, if it's a narrow door, then maybe some people won't find it. Some people, maybe it's obscure. I think what you'll see at the end of the passage is that's not the case. But the narrow door indicates that there is a very limited way to get into salvation. It's like a a small door that leads into a great open place. I've lived in Gainesville for 17 years. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and my daughter, Samantha, tells me about this cave you can dive into that's like 15 minutes from my house. Some of you have heard of it, but I'm upset with all of you because you've never told me about this place. But apparently you go through this really narrow place where you, you swim through it, and it opens up into this amazing cavern where you can see all these you know rock formations and things, and the water's cold, but, but it's, it's an amazing place. But you can only get in through this one little opening this one narrow door that is the very thing that jesus is talking about those that don't know about this place i'll find out the name and we'll share it together forget the rest of them but we'll we'll find that narrow door and we'll go in and we'll experience this cavern you probably know where it is hunter you didn't even tell me no you don't know where it is i'm going to find out and let you know then you're on my team narrow is the way jesus says narrow is the door and he tells this, this question asker to strive for that. It's like Paul says in Philippians, where he says, forgetting what is behind and pressing on what's ahead, I, I press on towards the mark of the upper call in Christ Jesus, my Lord. Paul says, forget that I was a religious leader, that I was a Pharisee, that I was, I was born with all these privileges and I was a part of this elite group all that's rubbish to me, he literally will say later on. I, I'm focused on the upper call in Jesus Christ. And that is the very thing that, Paul is, that, that Jesus is calling these would-be disciples to recognize. The narrow door is there, but you have to enter that door. Jesus goes on to say more about the door. He says that many will seek, but won't enter in. Many will seek the door, but not enter in. Now, this could be the sense of, you know, is this like secret wisdom? Is this like a deep, dark secret that you have to seek out? Or is this a, a, a door that's made available to everyone? Well, again, at the end of the passage, Jesus is going to say, people are going to come from the east, the west, the north, and the south and sit at the banquet table. This is not a hidden door. This is the plain door, open. Many will seek, but not many will come in. Why? Well, because to enter in is to recognize the need to enter in through the door. Well, who is the door? Jesus is the door. He says it plainly in, in the Gospel of John. I am the door, Jesus says. I am the door. If you want to come to the Father, it is through me. See, oftentimes when I was in seminary, there were, people would come up, unfortunately some of them ordained... And they would try to argue about, well, you know, the things like, for instance, John 14, 6, where Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. That's an isolated verse, and, and probably Jesus never said that. Well, okay, do you think he also didn't say what he said here in Luke chapter 13? You see, Jesus doesn't simply make that one exclusive claim there in John fourteen six. He makes it throughout his teachings, He continually calls us to the reality of of this narrow door, this specific way that we must enter into salvation. Here he says it once again to his disciples. Jesus says they will will seek, but they won't enter in. I love this quote from a a, a biblical scholar by the name of Daryl Bach. Um, I don't know much about Daryl, but I I love his commentary. I've been reading it for, for years. This is what he said. It was so good I had to write it down. One must recognize one's need and come to Jesus for aid. One must recognize one's need and come to Jesus for aid. You see, the problem is that oftentimes we think our problems are because of someone else, not ourselves. We think the problem of sin and brokenness and evil is out there and it's in institutions, it's in other people, but it's not me... And yet, Jesus calls us to recognize that, that we're the problem. He says it really clearly in chapter 5. He says, I've not come to call the well. It's not the well. Excuse me. It's not the, the well. That's W-E-L-L. Those who are not sick. It's not the well who, who need a physician, but those who are sick. I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Now, as Jesus is saying, there are some who are well and some who are sick. Some who are sinners and some who are righteous. No, I don't believe that's what he's saying. I think, I think what Jesus is saying is there are some who recognize that they're ill, that they're not healthy. There are some who recognize that they are sinners and they come to Jesus for aid. And there are some who cannot come to Jesus because it would mean they have to admit that they're the problem. One of my favorite quotes Solzhenitsyn, famous uh, Russian uh, person who worked against communism, Uh, Solzhenitsyn said that the the evil runs through not through institutions, but the heart of every man and woman. That, That sin, evil, destruction runs through our very hearts. We are the problem. But we have to recognize that and then come to Jesus who's the aid. That's, I think, why Jesus says that many will seek. They're, they'll be spiritually minded. They'll, there's a lot about Jesus to attract them. But when it comes right to the root of what he says and his call, they can't accept it because it's too radical. You're saying I'm the problem. And that you're more concerned with changing me than changing institutions and laws and culture. Jesus says, yeah, because that's how I'm going to change those other things is through changing the hearts of women and men, young and old. And it's too hard, and so people turn away. Not because the door is obscure, not because it's hidden, but because you have to humble yourself. The stone which the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. That's what Isaiah 28 tells us. Anything that can be shaken will be shaken. Jesus, Paul says, is that stumble, that rock of offense, it is offensive. It is offensive for you to tell me that I'm a sinner in need of God's grace and salvation. I realize that. I'm offended too. And yet I need Jesus to aid because he is the door. He is the way. We must recognize our need and come to Jesus aid well i could end right there but that's not the end of the passage you see it gets even harder because jesus says it's not about a limited number of people who can enter into salvation it's about the fact that it's a limited time offer now i know we're inundated with limited time offers right one of the ways that that jody often talks me into buying things is because there's a limited time in order to buy this the sale will end what we realize don't we is that sales come back around they don't always you know this is not the only sale they'll ever have but there's that sense in which we think that somehow that that we've got to do it now or you know well those, those oftentimes those sales pitches are just manipulative but Jesus is not being manipulative here he's reminding us that we can't put off this decision forever there will come a time when we will not have the opportunity. Jesus says there will come a day when the door will be shut. Once the master of the house has risen and shut the door, you will begin to stay outside and stand outside and knock at the door saying, Lord, open to us and he will answer you. I do not know where you come from. There will come a time. Hebrews 9 says that it's appointed once for a man to die and then to face the judgment. There's this sense in which we, we think we can kind of play around with God and spirituality. And, and there's a lot in our culture that suggests that it's, it's all about the journey, not about the destination. But Jesus says something emphatically opposite to that. He says, there will be a day when the door is shut and the opportunity for salvation has passed you by. Now, I'm old enough now to realize that life is super short, <laughs> Even five years ago, I was, I was not, could not have been convinced of that. But now I've realized that the problem with middle age, and the middle, problem with middle age is that we get lulled into this idea that life will always be as good as it is in middle age. You raised your kids, you got a little bit more money, your parents are still taking care of themselves, that's the sweet spot. You thought that when your kids got to elementary school was the sweet spot? Let me tell you, the real sweet spot is after your kids move out. That is the real sweet spot. And you think that it's going to always be that way. I loved having my kids at home too. Don't think I didn't. But it's a sweet spot when you're an empty nester. (laughs) But the time comes when time is no more. Our lives are limited. We're a breath. It's so short. And people think they can play around with, with spirituality and not get there. I, I heard it actually, uh, um, Paul Simon's song. He says, um, me and Julio down by the play yard. This is an old song, but he says, I, I, I'm on my way. I don't know where I'm going. I'm on my way. <laughs> you know? I mean, it's like, really, Paul? You know, you're on your way. You don't know where you're going. You just, go, But you're on your way. <laughs> Jesus says there will come a day when the door will be shut we have a limited time to make the decision. Life is short. I think also here, Jesus is implying, or maybe this is just me, but uh, there, there can be a moment where our hearts become hardened to the Lord. Sadly, I've seen people in this condition. Mentally, intellectually, they can, they can comprehend what I'm talking about here. Salvation through the person of Jesus Christ, who was God, who became man. Intellectually, they can get it but there seems to be a moment for some people where their heart becomes hardened to it and they will, their will will not move towards Jesus. That is a scary place. Jesus says, it's a limited time offer. Life is short. Today is the day of salvation. Thirdly, Jesus says, the problem is that sometimes people think proximity how close you are to him is the same thing as being in relationship with him. Look at what he goes on to say. Then you begin to say, verse 26, we ate and drank in your presence and you taught in our streets. Now here, sort of, you know, Jesus is sort of talking in a parable. He's talking about a literal door. and He's talking about coming into salvation. I believe Jesus is that door that he's talking about. But here it kind of breaks with the parable because it's not about, uh, it's, it's more specific. We ate and drank with you and you taught in our streets. Well, this is clearly Jesus they're referring to. Proximity-wise, we were right there. We we were around you. We we knew what you were about. We were involved in it all along. Jesus says there's a difference between knowing me, knowing about me, and responding to me. There's a big difference between knowing me and responding to me. Jody's in the sermon today because it's just because we're empty nesters, so she's, she's I get to use her. But we're painting the front door of our house after lots of color conversations. But that meant I had more time to prepare to paint, so it's okay. But I'm I'm, I'm prepping the door yesterday, and I noticed that the painter's tape as I'm putting up has the name 3M written on it. You know 3M. The posting note people, right? The guys who thought up, this will be a great business model. We'll make little tiny note pads with sticky on the back. And somebody probably thought, that is the dumbest idea in the world. And now 3M is this amazing company, right, that's doing everything. I picked up the sandpaper to sand the door. 3M makes the sandpaper. They're not just making sticky notes anymore. Sticky boards and sticky whatever. Sticky glue, whatever else they do. 3M is everything. Imagine knowing the person who who was the visionary leader for the 3M Corporation. I have no idea who that is. There's got to be somebody, though. Imagine knowing that person, growing up with them, hearing them talk about this business plan, and you not getting involved in it. Had the opportunity to invest in it. And you passed it up. One of our former members, Debbie Bateman, her dad was in with the the, the guy that started Lowe's. Her dad knew that guy. Guess what? He was smart enough to get involved in the company. He died an extremely wealthy man because Lowe's has done pretty good. But imagine missing out. You were right there. You knew about Jesus. You were were familiar with his teaching, but you never came into personal relationship with him. You you, you didn't heed the, the call of the psalm be still and know that he is God. That Jesus, in fact, was God. Come to earth and that he wants to have a relationship with you. That he wants want you to hear him from him and be led by him. Now, the way we know that, that this is not simply cheap grace. This is not simply you just confess the name Jesus and you're all good. I did a funeral one time where I preached the gospel, I think, as well as I could, and it was a woman, young woman that had died really tragically in her 20s, self-inflicted. So I was trying to be really clear about the gospel. And this guy sees me, and he, he judges me with this, this outfit I'm wearing, you know, because I'm Anglican. And uh, he says, you well, what kind of church are you with? And da-da-da-da. I don't think he heard a word of the sermon or anything. None of the liturgy. He just, he just was judging my appearance. And I said, well, I said, are you a Christian? He goes, Man, I'm, I'm covered with the blood of the Lamb. And I thought, oh, okay, I mean, I realized the biblical reference there, but do you understand what that means? Do you, you know the blood of the Lamb is a reference to Jesus, but have you just been religiously schooled to know all the lingo, or do you have a relationship with the person of Jesus? Because he never said, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. He said, I'm covered by the blood of the Lamb. And unfortunately, there wasn't an opportunity for me to go on further with that. I'm not sure he was open to hearing from me anyway. But that reminds me that, that this, this idea that Jesus says that we can be so close in proximity and not, not come into contact with a relationship. To, again, it's about listening to Jesus and responding to what he says. And that's why I think the last little part there is really important. I don't know if you caught it when we were reading it through. He's, after he says, I don't know you, I don't know where you come from, rather. I don't know where you come from. It says it twice. He says, depart from me, you workers of evil. Man, Jesus, come on, lighten up a little bit. Workers of evil? I think this is a relationship. To be in a personal relationship with Christ is to allow Christ to transform us. You see, if, if, we, if we call the name of Jesus, but we're still those who, and rather than working for righteousness, are working for, with, with evildoers. If we're still in alliance with the workers of evil, then, then we've not truly come into that relationship where we're hearing from Jesus and responding to him. You see, the reason why Jesus' discipleship seems so radical and hard is because Jesus, to be his follower, there are no exceptions. Every one of us will be challenged. We will be tempted to be offended. If you say, everything Jesus says, I am completely okay with it, and I have no questions and issues, I'm going to say, check yourself. You didn't know what I was going to say there. Check yourself. Check yourself. I think he may be glossing because Jesus says some really hard things. He says, to, if you love your family more than him, you're not worthy to be his disciple. Really? You're cool with that? That's a pretty tough, challenging part. She says, I've not come to bring uh, peace, but a sword to divide families. You sh- you're good with that, you know, and on and on and on. Jesus challenges us because, again, the need is within us. To be challenged to be, is to recognize that we are not without sin and that we're not without wrong thinking and wrong actions. And oftentimes, even when we think we're in the right, we're actually in league with evildoers. Now, just to point out, Jesus says, I don't know where you come from. I love that translation of that verse. He says it twice. Remember that Jesus is, is speaking into a Jewish context. Remember, I talked at the beginning that he's talking to the, uh, you know, about the religious leadership that is rejecting him. And and Jesus is saying, I'm teaching you a new way, which is very old, of following God that centers on me, not on the things that the religious leaders. Can you imagine a worse thing for a Jewish leader to hear than for God to say, I don't know where you come from? Are you kidding me? I'm... I'm one of the children of Israel. I'm one of those that you brought out of Egypt and, and brought into the promised land. I'm the one that you gave the, the Torah to, the, the law of God. I am a, a son of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And Jesus says that unless you come through the narrow door, the word will be, I don't know where you come from. You see, Paul makes it clear, We're, one is not Jewish by outward signs, but by an inward faith of the heart. A trusting in God through Jesus Christ. That is the narrow way that Jesus is calling to. Well, finally, having clarified about the narrow door, about the limited time, and about being wary of the the proximity, but not having a true relationship, Jesus answers the question. I've already, uh, I've already told you this last verse, verse 29, Jesus, or not the last verse, but near the end, Jesus says, people will come from the east and the west and the north and the south, and they will recline at the kingdom of God. There will be, he says right before, it says, there will be, there will be many sitting at Abraham with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and the prophets and the kingdom of God but you yourselves will be cast out right there he is, he is that's an indictment of the religious leaders now just to say there are many all the followers of Jesus at the beginning were Jewish and there are many followers of today who culturally would identify as being Jewish but Jesus to the religious leaders is saying those things which they are teaching are contra to the kingdom of God and, and, and they will not enter the narrow way if they follow those things. But many will come from the east and the west and the north and the south. Is, is, is there a, so to answer the question, is there only few who will be saved? No. There are many, 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 countless people who will come from all sorts of places. Well, what is Jesus referencing here? He's referencing the Gentile world that will come, the nations that will come. I read about a, a pastor who's studying, he was, he was uh, in Hartford, uh, or not Hartford, he was near Harvard, and he was in a coffee shop and preparing for his sermon, and he looks over and he sees this young Asian woman, who he later finds out is Chinese, and he sees that she has her Bible open, and he says to her, I see that you're a Christian, and her response back to him is, yes, I have found the narrow way. which is such an awesome way of putting it. See, it's not obscure. It's not hidden secret knowledge. It's it's, it's it's a way that we can find, but it requires us to come through the person of Jesus Christ. He is the way. He is the door. Why will they be gnashing teeth and weeping? Because they've missed it. They're like Esau. Remember Esau, Jacob and Esau and and. They want Isaac's blessing, and, and so Jacob deceives Esau, right? He he, he pretends to be him, he, he puts on you know skin to look like he's hairy and 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 you know all this stuff, prepares the food, and he he deceives Isaac, gets the blessing. But remember before that, what what the Hebrews is talking about is the selling of the birthright. Esau was a fool. Esau was hungry, comes into the camp. And, and there's Jacob, and Jacob has the stew, and, and so Esau says, hey, give me some stew, and Jacob says, I'll give you some stew if you give me your birthright. Esau says, well, what matters about my birthright if I'm dead? So sure. So he trades his birthright to be the firstborn. He trades that for a bowl of stew. And then later on, when he comes to Esau, Esau comes to Isaac, he says, Father, bless me. Don't don't you know and he, he weeps and he cries. He could be gnashing of his teeth there. And Isaac says, No, you it's done. Your brother has the birthright. Your brother has the blessing. And and you who had every opportunity have become a fool. And you've given your birthright away for a bowl of stew. Man. Jesus says. There will be those many around the banquet in the kingdom of God. And behold, some are last who will be first and the first who will be last. I think this is a reference to the Jewish people. I said already, many Jewish people, all the early believers were Jewish, but, but many Jewish people also rejected Jesus, the religious leaders, for the most part, rejected Jesus. And so Jesus is showing that that those who were last, which is the Gentiles, will be first. But that also said that those who were first will be last. But they will enter in. And I just want to say that, you know, since 1967, there has been an explosion of Messianic Jewish congregations. And Jewish people who now provoked by the grace extended to them as, as Gentiles by God through Christ are now calling on the name of Jesus. And, and so I think that the, God will fulfill this prophecy at the end, but it will come through the person of Christ. Christ is the way. Now, this morning, we each need to consider whether we're close to Jesus or whether we're in a relationship with Him. Whether we're waiting to move through the door or whether we're still waiting for something else, maybe later in life to get serious about God. Sometimes that later doesn't come. And maybe we're outside the door seeking but hoping that there's more than one way in. Because it just doesn't seem right to be one way. Jesus says emphatically, he is the narrow door. He is the way. And he offers himself. And he comes, not that, that any would be rejected, but that all would enter in by him. Yes, an exclusive claim, but an exclusive claim that is offered universally. Jesus comes this morning, and he calls us to respond to him who is the narrow way. To know the life that he can give. To experience relationship with him. To enter into that banquet hall. To be with him. To know the power that he can bring to transform our lives. That we can be acceptable to God, not because of something we do, but because of something that he does Through us. He comes to offer that to everyone, but He comes to offer Himself. He is the way, the truth, and the life. Let's pray. Father, you continue to challenge us, but we seek, Lord, to know your voice, to hear your truth. To see your mercy and justice come together in the person of Christ, even when we can't understand. Lord, we thank you for those from all tongues, tribes, and people groups who recognize their need and cry out to you. Father, for those of us who are your followers, I pray that we would be bold to speak the name of Jesus not as a weapon to slash and prove we're right, Lord, but as the antidote, as the the medicine that the world needs. May you purify and strengthen your church to take the good news of Jesus to all who will hear. And that we ask it in his name. Amen.